back. This is the Bushman Podcast, Gawkwood Radio. We go, wait, 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 but I'm going to subscribe to a stand-up building. What? Man, I wasn't here last week. Shout out to AJ. Yo, Jay. Yo, so negotiations of the AJ situation has taken a little snag. You know what I mean? I, last, the last time I was on the last time I was on the podcast, the last time I was on the pod was about, about two weeks ago, we thought we had a breakthrough. Negotiations had taken a little snag. However, we're working on it. Yo, two. Back in the building. Smart people officially. Yo, Fox, executive producer, is in the building. You know what I mean? The Glockerware crew's here. Right? Got Rose up in, up in the building. LC in the building. So I'm not, so I'm all fired up because I'm all fired up because I have an amazing show lined up for everybody today. This is Blitzmack Press. You can always check me on Twitter. And I'm going to do different things because I know we don't talk about baseball. It's not because I don't watch baseball. I'm not a baseball fan or whatever. I'm just, you know, other sports just dominate the airways to me. And I'm more of a NFL guy, boxing guy, basketball guy. And I can extend those, and I can extend those games, you know, pretty much, you know, throughout the course of the year, they pretty much, you know, be the basis of my, of, of my sports talk. But I can't be remiss and not discuss the, the Houston Astros because the Astros won the World Series and they got caught cheating and they literally got caught red-handed cheating by one of their former players being a whistleblower at the picture and said hey man you know something you, you know the, uh, the Astros uh, they uh, they still signs you know, like they, like the Astros are constantly stealing signs. And people say, well, sign stealing is not that big of a deal. In baseball, sign stealing is a, a huge deal. Because as a batter, what makes hitting so difficult is, is that you have all these different pictures with all these different arm angles and all these different styles of pictures. So understanding the rotation of, of the ball and seeing where the pitches are coming from makes it extremely difficult for a batter. However... These are people who have extreme hand-eye coordination, and they know how to transition that that core coordination into sometimes power, putting the ball in the play, understanding where the pitches are and what pitches are coming are, is a huge advantage for any hitter. No one who actually knows how to play baseball can say that's not an advantage. And you know what? The MLB is pissed. The ML, the MLB is pissed. Like they like they're like people within the league right now are just pissed at the fact that the Houston Astros aren't really being reprimanded for the fact that they stole a World Series. You know what I'm saying? Like, they, they actually stole a championship. And then, and, 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 and the outrage is is legit. The outrage is, is legit. It's a thousand percent legit. But, but my biggest issue with all this right here, where was this, where was all this when the Patriots were videotaping the Eagles for the Super Bowl. That's blatant cheating. Why are the Patriots still looked upon as the gold standard of the NFL when all they have been involved with throughout the entire winning is cheating scandals? (coughs) It's cheating scandals. I mean... Eagles players actually said during the course of the game when they were in certain formations that the Patriots were literally calling out their plays. Like, what? Like, how y'all know y'all going? Like, how do you know exactly the play we're going to run? 
and they did all this, and they only still won by three. And the Eagles played a terrible game. But see, no one, no one, the uh, the sports media said, "Oh well, you got to play the game," and uh, well, you know, you uh, you know, the athletes, you know, we got to get over it. Philly fans got to get over it. Why, why don't we got to get over that? Like, I, I understand. See, this is the difference between NFL players and, and, and MLB players. The MLB players right now are pretty much demanding that their league take more action against the Astros. And I'm going to tell you why. There are six basic points, you know what I'm saying, why the MLB, why the players are, are upset right now. Six major points. You know what I'm saying? If you're still in signs and you know what pitches are coming, that's a big deal. That's not no small thing. And and, and the MLB, Roger Manfred, has has tried to, you you know, make that into a small deal. Manfred knows better. Manfred's been around the game for like 50 years. He knows an advantage in baseball. Number two. The players are upset that more Astros players should, should should be punished. Listen, every player on that team should take have at least, at the minimum, a minimum of 20 games. A minimum of 20 games. Any player in the league that was on that championship team should have a minimum of 20 games. Don't matter. I don't care if the I don't care if the Astros only win 10 games all year. It does not matter to me how they manifest their games over time. You gotta stagger your games. You gotta miss at least twenty games. You, there is no way without pay at that. Without pay, like you, you gotta hit it where it hurts. Two, three. Jim Crane, the owner of the Astros, he like he don't even care. See, and, and this is the common knowledge of how you know corruption, how everybody gets involved, and, and, and how like, all right. So the thing is within the political spectrum of this country right now and in terms of corruption is like win at all costs. Like you don't care how you win. And, and like integrity does not matter anymore. And and, and that's the new standard. And, and that's the new standard in, like in sport. And, and that's not the standard of sport. That's why you got LeBron James coming. I'm going to get to him in a second. But the owner hasn't shown any contrition. Now, he put some pressure on, on, on his GM and on the coach, and they both were pretty much, much fired. But still, to this day, the owner has not shown enough contrition. Because if any, if, if, if any sport honors the records of its players, it's Major League Baseball. That's why Bonds and Clemens and Rose are not in the, world, are not in the Hall of Fame. Like, how, how are you not going to have Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, not in the Hall of Fame, Mark McGuire? These guys will never, <clears throat> I don't know if they never see the Hall, but, but currently, they won't be in the Hall. Pete Rose. Guys cheating, guys gambling, guys doing wrong, out of the Hall. But these guys, they get to keep their championship? Players aren't reprimanded? That's what's frustrating right now. The fourth thing that has everybody upset with the players is that they've been doing this all the way into the season. This is not only the year when they won the World Series in 2017, but this also goes into this year. Like, they still, they were doing it until they got caught. Like, they were going to keep doing it. 
And number five is that over time, Manfred sort of knew about it. So he didn't even act quickly enough. As soon as he found out about cheating, he should have shut this thing down immediately. Immediately. I'm going to tell you how bad it is. I'm going to tell you how bad it is. Mike Trout, the game's best player, maybe the greatest player of all time. Some people can make the argument that that Mike Trout's first seven years in the MLB is is the greatest of all time. I don't think so. But it's up there. It's really up, up there. So listen to Mike Trout for a second. Listen to how frustrated he is. You know, just I don't agree with the, the punishments. You know, the player's not uh, getting anything. You know, it was a player-driven, uh, you know, take. Uh, you know, it sucks because, like you said, a guy's career's been affected. Uh, a lot of people, you know, lost jobs. It's, it's, uh, it was tough. Uh, it would be... Me going to the plate knowing what's coming would be uh, pretty fun up there. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's just like I said, it's a lot of guys lost respect for, for some of the guys. And, you know, it's, it seems like every day something new comes out. So, How do you feel about those guys? Um, you know, I, I got close relationships with all the guys. And, uh, you know, it's tough seeing stuff when it comes out. You know, a lot of guys reached out to me and um, just, it's tough. Like I said, it's, it's, it's not good for baseball. And, it's sad to see. Guys from the Astros reached out to you? Yeah, a couple guys. I'm not going to name any names. No, but, uh, what was it basically just the message? Trying to, was it, were they just, apologizing? Were they trying to explain themselves? Just trying to explain what happened. You know, you read a lot of stuff in the paper, and, you know, once you read something, uh, a lot of people jump to that conclusion. But uh, sometimes it's right, sometimes it's, it's false. It's, uh, you know, it's like I said, it was a tough tough off season to see that you know, as, a, as a baseball player. And, you know, you just hope uh, major Baseball cleans it up and uh, play uh, you know, good baseball for right now. What's your view of that World Series championship? Um, you know, it's tough because you don't know, you know, what helped them or what not. But if you know what's coming, it's going to definitely help you. I think, I think that's, you know, it's tough. You're taking a trophy away, taking taking the rings away. Uh, I think they should definitely do something. Uh, I don't know what, but uh, just I mean, think about that for a second. The cheat like that and not get anything says a lot about the team. It says, I mean, it says a lot about the league. And this is the players, and this is why it was so important. This is the difference between NFL players. I mean, the, NFL, the MLB players are pretty much demanding the commissioner to make a move right now. And the commissioner has, they got to look deep in, into this and say, deep into this matter and say, hey, do we want to lose our players? Now, here's the the flip side of that is that the players are demanding their own constituents to be reprimanded. But those same players who, if, if, if like if Manfred comes back and gives them 20 or 30 game suspensions, those guys are going to be filing grievances through their players' union. This is where the players inside the union well, I have to take a stance and say, listen, you guys can defend them for all they want, but really we're on the side of MLB. This is what we wanted. Because we cannot condone cheating. We cannot condone cheating. There's an integrity that is a, that is attached to sports that we cannot lose. It's too much money involved. It's too much money. Imagine, let's listen, imagine how many, uh, just from a, a gambling perspective, right? How much?
much money changed hands. Just think about the careers and, and, and people who lost jobs and guys who were traded. Like, this impacted people's careers and salaries and lives. I mean, I know it's trivial because we're only talking about sports, but, yo, you got you to gotta do it on the field. You got to do it clean. The same thing with, with the Patriots against the Birds. They didn't do it clean. They didn't do it clean. You know what I'm saying? And, 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 and that needs to be investigated. That, that's why like Bill Belichick, for all his greatness and, and his intelligence throughout the game and, and, and being a mastermind on, on defense and, and a motivator, through all that, through all that, you can't deny that he constantly pushes the rules to cheat. And where were the players consistently, not just the Eagles players, all players should be like, yo, cheating isn't good. For the league, it's certain. Listen, you always want to get an upper hand, but some things are crossing the line. And taping another team's practice is crossing the line. Stealing signs, knowing when when pitches, knowing when pitches are coming, is crossing the line. That's that's knowing the answers to the test without studying. You know what I'm saying? Someone, someone, someone stole. Someone gave you the answers to the test, but you just come on, man. Think about this. You got this is so bad. This is so bad that LeBron, LeBron James is a basketball. We all listen. LeBron James just finished playing an All Star game, but see, we all know. See, we all see what's going down in this country regarding the lack of integrity, the the the. The, the element of corruption win at all costs and LeBron made a statement not necessarily for MLB he made the statement for the NBA we best not get involved in cheating why is the only league that is predominantly black why is the, the league that is predominantly black always up showing the most integrity of all the other leagues like, all right, so think about this. A LeBron comes out and says, listen, I know I don't play baseball, but I'm in sports. And you know, if someone cheated me out of winning a title and I found out about it, I'd be fucking irate. That's what LeBron tweeted himself. I mean, like, uncontrollable. Like, what about, what if I could, like, what, what could I do? Listen here, baseball commissioner. Listen to your players. Speaking... Speaking today about how disgusted, mad, hurt, broken they are about this. Literally, the ball is in your court, or should I say, on your field. And you need to fix this problem for the sake of sports, LeBron James. That's what LeBron tweeted out. He's not even in MLB. But athletes want to know that they're playing on a fair playing field. Athletes want to know that shit is cool, like shit is fair. Like that's what it's all about. It's, it, I think if you're going to keep Barry if you're not going to say Barry Bonds 73 is, is the greatest of all time for home runs then you got to give this an asterisk too you just cannot treat the Astros like they are a normal World Series champion maybe you can take a diamond out of one of their rings or something like do like do something make a statement saying that cheating in this league would not would no longer be tolerated and if they and if they are and if you do cheat, cheat and you and we do catch you, the penalties will be stiff. 
Very stiff. I'm talking 50 games stiff. What's my podcast? So, I'm just trying to explain to everybody that this Astro thing is huge. I'm, I'm, I'm going to play one more cut of Aaron Judge. Because, I mean, Judge is disgusted. Like, Judge was going to win MVP. Atuve took his MVP. I'm about to play this next set. This is Aaron Judge. It was it was tough to watch, you know, and you know through the whole thing, you know, once it came out, you know, I was pretty mad, pretty upset, um, you know, to know that we were probably, you know, cheated out of a possibility of, you know, making it to the World Series. Because as a kid, that's, you know, forget forget the individual awards, forget how many games you win, how many homers you hit. It's about, you know, winning a World Series. You know, winning a World Series with your team and fighting till the very end. You know, the blood, sweat, and tears you put into the game. You know, to be that last team that's standing, you know, and to hear that you got cheated out of that opportunity, that's 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 tough to kind of, you know, let let go, you know. But um, that's why I'm glad we can talk about this now so we can let it go and move on to 2020 because we got a pretty good team and a lot of important things we want to do. Do you think the Astros should be stripped of their 2017 uh, championship? I, yeah, I just don't think it holds any value with, with you know, you, you cheated and you, you didn't earn it. You know, that's that's how I feel is it wasn't earned. You know, it wasn't earned the the way of, you know, playing the game right and fighting until the end and knowing that, you know, I'm comp- we're competing. We're competitors. And the biggest thing about competition is laying it all out in the line and, you know, whoever's the better player, better person, you know, comes out on top, you know, and, you know, you just lay it out there and, you know, to know that another team had an advantage that, you know, nothing you can really guard against that, I just don't feel like that's that's earned or, you know, yeah, that's it's not earned. You know what I'm saying? It's not earned. These are some of the two of the best players in the MLB saying these things. Mike Trout, Aaron Judge. You have all types of players coming out pissed off. Pissed off. Nick Marcakis said every Astros player needs a beating. That's what players are saying. saying you need to get a whooping. Come on now. Come on, Manford. You need to you need to you need to tighten this shit up. Before the season starts, let every player know that cheating will not be tolerated. This is the major leagues. Your Hall of Fame is the most prestigious, maybe of all of sports, because you hold your players up to such a high standard. That's why you don't have Clemens. That's why Bonds isn't there. Barry Bonds is arguably the greatest player of all time and you don't have him there. Pete Rose is one of the hardest working players of all time. Charlie Hustle is not in the Hall of Fame because you thought that they did something to disgrace baseball. This is on that level. This is Bushman Podcast Glock already. Okay. I'm still here. So, I'm paying attention to a lot of stuff. And I, I just can't, I just can't understand why Jerry Rice is at the White House. I just can't understand it. And he's at the White House, White White House, praising Con Forty Five, because the other day, the president or their president pardoned eleven criminals. I mean, blatant criminals. I mean, people who actually tried to destroy lives who actually broke the law, corrupt the process, you know, you know, money laundering, stealing, you know, uh, bribery, 
all the things that he's currently doing now. See, this is what this is the point. The point is, is that what he's doing is he's pardoning people who do the, who does the same things that he does. Just so happens that Eddie DeBartolo Jr., who used to be the the owner of the San Francisco 49ers, won five Super Bowls, and this is how rich people stay rich. They get they, they get involved in, in like corrupt acts. Well, basically, what he tried to do was purchase. A, a casino license in in, in the state of, of Louisiana for $400,000 and he got caught. He got caught. He got caught. He tried to buy his way into something. We won't get in deep about that in the next segment with my man Benjamin Dixon. But again, you, you got caught corrupting the process by trying to buy your way into something where you believe it's going to make yourself millions of dollars. He got caught. That's a that's a real quid pro quo. He was bribing a, gov- a governor to get a casino license. But why the hell is Jerry Rice there? Why is he there normalizing this nonsense? As a black man, he should be offended. I don't see how black men interact with this White House and not have a stain or a stench or have any remorse or any integrity in terms of what this White House means to people of color. And why do you consistently try try to adapt yourself into some place that they don't really want you at? Like all the fake smiles and all the plastic shit, none of that matters. They don't want you there. You know how how you can tell based upon how they treat your family. It's not about you, Jay Rice. They love you. What about all your family, yo? What about people who aren't Jerry Rice? Will they treat them the same way they treated you? And trust me, if they don't treat your mama right, you ain't you don't want them to be treating you like that. Come on, you wouldn't have anybody. So my whole thing is, this is a, a perfect way where politics and sports kind of like in, like in the twine like it connects it just connects and I, I, it's just frustrating to see professional athletes stoop to this level for acceptance he didn't have to be there if Eddie DeBartolo gave Jerry Rice millions of dollars I get it they won Super Bowls together Rice won four Super Bowls there and you can know someone, but you can also say, you know what? You know, he, he like like my man could make a move and he did something wrong. I can say, listen, that's my man, but he did something, something wrong. Right? But I'm not gonna praise somebody who I know is working against my best interest. This is the Blitz Matt Podcast, Glockwood Radio. We go way, way, way beyond whistles. My pe- people stay in the building. Coming up next, we got an extra special surprise for everybody. All we do is find talent. We got Benjamin Dixon from the Benjamin Dixon podcast, political analyst. He was the one that blew Bloomberg up. He was the first journalist. He was the first journalist on the airwaves that actually dug into the vaults and started pulling out all the disrespectful, racist rhetoric of former Mayor Bloomberg. Stop and frisk. Redlining ridiculous statements about Obama, 
don't believe in health health care, doesn't believe in the minimum wage. He believes in taxing the poor more. This is the Bliss Map Podcast. We're going to get into all that with the guy up next, the journalist, the man, Benjamin Dixon. This is the Bliss Map Podcast. Clockwork Radio. We go way, 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 way beyond whistle. This is Fly Sports Talk, not Dry Sports Talk, you heard?
7 to 9 p.m. on rockaware.com. We're back. This is the Blitz Man Podcast, Gawkware Radio. We go way, way, way beyond. So many people stay in the building. I'm so fired up because I got one of the brightest minds in the world of journalism right now. He... This man broke the Bloomberg story about a week ago, and ever since then, everything has changed in America regarding Bloomberg. Michael Bloomberg, we are bringing to the show Benjamin Dixon from the Benjamin Dixon Show. Ben, are you with me? Hey, Malik. Hey, man. Thanks so much for having me, man. It's and, and, honestly a pleasure to be on with you. Indeed. Smart people are officially in the building. Yo, I'm so fired up. Yo, I'm, <laughs> I'm so fired up to have you on this show today, bro. I'm so fired up because, really, you were the, you were the one who really ignited the fire of the Bloomberg, of the Michael Bloomberg yeah. fraudery that was going on. Like, the whole illusion of this guy being something bigger than what he really was. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the biggest things, man. He's got, you know, he dropped $500 million. That's half a billion dollars. That's like all the money Jay-Z worked all his life to build up. He dropped <laughs> half of that in about two or three months time to, um, to convince everybody that he was this good guy with all this experience. And he ignored the fact that his experience came at the expense of black men in New York. So um, when we found that audio, I, I knew it was I knew it was significant. And I'm just glad that, that everybody else felt the same way. I know. I mean, because here's, here's, here's the thing. It's like Bloomberg won New York the same way he is trying to capture the yeah. presidency. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's not overly yep. charismatic. Yep. He doesn't have outstanding policy. He, like, he's nothing more than, than, than pretty much an oligarch acting as a politician. This is a career Republican who who really never had um, progressive 
um, 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 uh, uh, um, any progressive policies. So how is this dude right. running as a Democrat? Man, it's, it's surprising, right? It, it's simultaneously surprising and disappointing because he's able to capitalize on everyone being so afraid of Donald Trump. And, and what people really have in their mind is that there's nobody that's worse than Donald Trump. But the reality, if you look at this man's track record, you look at what he did to not only black people in New York, what he did to poor people in New York, what he did uh, in terms of sexism and misogyny and all the all the allegations, the sexual allegations against him. This man, plus you add on top of it, the fact that he is the ninth richest man in the country. Right. This man is far more dangerous than Donald Trump. We got to get rid of Donald Trump. Yes. There's no there's, there's no question about it. But we're in a primary. And one of the things he's been able to purchase is this idea that he is the only person. If right. you talk to any supporter of Michael Bloomberg, they automatically assume that the primaries are over. That is so dangerous when it comes to democracy, man. And that's one of the things his half a billion dollars has been able to uh, buy. Right. I mean, it's it's the, it's, the, it's, the, it's it's almost like as if, okay, so with, with the other situation back in 2016, we call him Con 45 here, right? So when Con was getting all the media publicity, the media just gave him over $2 billion worth of publicity yep. over a nine-month period. Yep. So Bloomberg said, ha-ha, I can just buy it. I can just put a billion dollars yeah. into this and get the same type of, and then create my own narratives without being never being challenged, without, without, without never truly being vetted. So it's, it, it, it's, yeah. like, it's amazing how the media is falling for the exact same trick. Right, right. But no, I, I love the way you laid that out, right? Because I haven't heard anybody mention it like that. And uh, I'll try to remember to give you credit when I bring it up tomorrow <laughs> on my show. Man, and look, what, what, what Donald Trump got in earned media, because Donald Trump is, is a showman, right? right? Donald Trump got all, all this coverage because he would say crazy things. He would say rude things. He would say absurd things. And everybody had to cover it. And you're absolutely right. He said, oh, all I have, Michael Bloomberg said, all I need is about $2 billion in media and I can become the president. He said, that's pocket change That's to me. pocket change. And really, if we get deep into the, the Bloom, Bloomberg at first said he was going to run. Then everybody says not a good idea, so then he stopped. But that's when Elizabeth Warren was was beginning to yep. gain traction, and she demanded the wealth tax on the one percent, and it was going to be like a five yep. percent wealth tax, big fucking deal that that you want to tax Bloomberg five percent of his wealth, big freaking deal. Like, bro, you're still going to be sitting on like seventy billion, but because yeah. because yeah. Warren was insistent on terms of developing this wealth tax that's all of a sudden Bloomberg's noise started kind of like dwindling her momentum so now you don't even hear about yep. Elizabeth Warren anymore you don't even hear about the, the concept of a wealth tax anymore all you hear is about how Bloomberg miraculously started being best friends with Obama now which they were never cool <laughs> right right they were never cool he never uh, Bloomberg never endorsed Obama. In fact, in 2004, before Obama ran, um, he endorsed George W. Bush at the Republican National Convention in New York. Um, plenty of video for that. And, and, you know, I mean, really, that's another angle, right? That's another dope angle. A lot of people are complaining about Elizabeth Warren not getting any coverage. Well, that's because Michael Bloomberg has come in and bought his way into the conversation and edged her out. Now, the reason, the, the core thing that you're pointing at here is the reason why she, he got into the race in the first place. It's because he's making an investment. Elizabeth Warren's wealth tax exactly. is going to take about 
$3.6 billion away from him every year. Um, every year he's going to have to pay $3.56 billion in taxes. Now, like you said, that leaves him with plenty of money. He's still going to be worth over $60 billion even at that, right? But he said, if I can invest $2 billion and save $14 billion over four years, exactly. what's that called? That's, that's a good investment. investment. That's a hustle right there. Like that's why yep. I don't understand like why isn't the media and, and 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 this is why it's so important to have independent journalists like yourself because without people like you doing the dirty work mainstream media would just pretty much this would be this would just be anonymous in, like like information and this is exactly right. how we got into the situation in 2016 when no one really right. wanted to go on a limb to vet out Con 45 you dig what I'm saying? <laughs> I no. love it. I love Con 45. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and that's the thing, man. Quite honestly, like, I didn't do anything so spectacular except for I just did the the, the work, right? right? I just did the general work that I do every single day. And then, obviously, I mean, I did – I went a little step further in terms of, of uh, doing, writing up the transcript and the subtitles and putting the slides. You know, I did like an hour and a half worth of extra work that I normally do. But then the real press came on social media. Like, we poured hours. We just shared, 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 made sure everybody was aware of it. Like, you know, DM people, retweeted it, subtweeted it, did everything that we could. And then I made one final appeal. I'm like, listen, if you don't share this, it won't break into mainstream media. Right. That's the one that got everyone's attention. That's one that went, like, super viral. And now we're at um, 8 million views on that thing. Indeed, indeed. Smart people fishing the building. This is Benjamin Dixon from the Benjamin Dixon Show. Check his podcast. All right, so more. I want, I want you to break the whole concept of an oligarch because my some people maybe on yeah. my on my airways aren't really sure what an oligarch is, is so let's so let's break mm-hmm. that down for the public yeah so um depending on your show like i'm not i'm not so familiar with your show but i know everyone would recognize this term don't hold me to this term i'm just trying to share something to get a visual image in your head the Illuminati, right? right? I'm just throwing that out there yeah, so everybody people can get an image Illuminati. of their head. Right. Right, right. So I want them to get that picture in your head only for the purposes of, of the idea that there's a group of people who are the rulers of this country, right? There are people who have so much money that they control everything. The difference is this is not a secret, right? Uh, Michael Bloomberg and Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates and Warren Buffett, it's not a secret that they run everything, that they have all the money, that they have all the power because whoever has the money has the power, right? right. And so they are oligarchs uh, oligarchs in the sense that they're able to take their money and, and change our entire political system. Uh, 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 what's this guy? Bloomberg. Bloomberg is taking pocket change. This is nothing to him. And he's coming in and he's saying, I don't like what the masses, I don't like what all of you 200 million people are trying to do. You're trying to get Medicare for all. You're trying to get college tuition free. You're trying to cancel your student debt. He's saying, I don't like that. So I'm going to take my pocket change and I'm going to come down from my throne in the uh, as a billionaire and I'm going to come down here and snatch democracy away from you by circumventing this process. That's what an oligarch does. We always think about oligarchs in the sense of um, uh, like Russia, like you have to be for Russia to be an oligarch. No. In no. the United States of America, we have several oligarchs. They are the ruling elite, and they all are just about basically white men. Right. And here's the deal. Bloomberg keeps telling everybody, I'm using my own money. I'm using my own money. What you're doing is you're taking money that, that you've already earned. 
So so people that you yeah. made money with will have influence on you the same way you will have influence on them. The, 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 the concept of that, right. that Bloomberg is because he has so much money, he doesn't he, he, he can't be pushed over or influenced by anyone. It's totally naive. How do you think he gets the money in the first place? How do you think he does these deals? So it's all about managing right. money, managing relationships and having those relationships say, hey, Mike, now that you as president, let's get more more money. Let's steal more from the people. Let's raise more taxes. You know what I'm saying? And and yeah. let's cut our yeah. taxes. You see what I'm saying? And right, right, exactly, exactly. And you and you point out something critical there, right? So there's two sides of this. Who is Michael Bloomberg beholden to? He's beholden to his stockholders, the exactly. people who are making him wealth every day, every single day. Who does he never have to answer to? A whole group of people. One, he never has to answer to the American people because we didn't help him get in there. He bought his way in. Then two, the people who surround him, his advisors, he could replace them in a minute. He, they, they are all. They have all been purchased, right? Their silence has been purchased. All the black people that he's hired. I'm glad y'all are getting checks, and I'm not disrespecting. I understand the hustle. You got to get your money, but you do realize once you get to the White House. You will never be able to hold this man accountable because he's holding all of the purse strings and he's not accountable to you or the American people. So tell me something. Who's going to hold him accountable from our side of the equation? It's not going to be an advisor. That's not going to be Congress. It's not going to be the American people. Nobody is going to be able to tell this man what to do because he has enough wealth to buy our democracy. Right, right. And and, and for anyone to think that... You know, Russia, in terms of this boy in the White House now, this dude's collateral damage. Like, if they wanted to drop him out, you know what I'm saying, it don't really matter to them. <clears throat> the only thing matters to Russia is the next chessboard. If they see that Bloomberg is going to win, they can pollute the political system just like anything else. And we're dealing with so many elements, of, especially for people of color, but we're talking about constant vote for, for the suppression and through through gerrymandering, through um, um, uh, um, deleted mm-hmm. voter votes. We're, we're talking about, mm-hmm. we're actually talking about voter suppression through, through candidates now. I mean, people who have no connection yeah. with black people, like guys like Bloomberg, Buttigieg, Kobachar, like all these, none of these people has even tried to make a connection with black people, yet they right. all are depending right. on the black vote. I just want to make this yeah. one, yeah. Real, real, I want to make this one small point. The point is if you don't have a candidate for black people to come out, that's a way to suppress the vote. Well, no, I'm not voting for anyone. And yep. that takes away your right for, for yep. citizenship. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I mean, the the Democratic Party is out of their mind right now. Here's why: because they need sixty percent of they need sixty percent of African Americans to show up to the polls, and then out of the sixty percent that show up, I mean, when I say sixty percent, I mean take every black person in this country. The Democratic Party needs sixty percent of that to show up, right? right? And then out of the sixty percent, they need ninety percent of African Americans to vote for the Democratic Party. So they are so dependent on African Americans. For them to be considering the stop and frisk mayor to be their nominee is the utmost absurd. Never mind Klobuchar, like you said, and Buttigieg. Like, like they they they're really gambling with making sure that black folks stay home. Right. Well, see, okay, so this is to me. If you look on how the the, the concept of fascism works in the skies of democracy is, you you have one party rule right through a fascist state. 
But then you have, in like, just what you do in like Russia and other small countries, that you uh, that you do have some kind of like socialist or political progressive party. You can say, well, they can become president. The problem is that you fracture all those elements of of democracy. So so then those yeah. those elements of democracy be, be, become so radical that they won't support the other. Do you think what I'm saying? And yeah. and, and, and therefore yeah. it looks like okay, uh Con forty fives win because he knows he got, you know, sixty six like sixty million votes strong. All I gotta do is, is, yeah. is convince five million votes not to come out. Exactly. Do you think exactly. I'm and all it's going to take, all we've got to shave, all we really, all they really have to suppress is about two percent of the black vote. If they uh, suppress two percent, suppress or depress, right? They can either purge it or they can discourage us from coming out. Two um, percent of the black vote, that's it. That's game. Game over, right? Uh, the that's uh, crazy. Donald Trump wins or, or Con Forty Five wins another four years. So they're, they're playing with fire here. And here's the thing, like I like what you said there, right? It's, it's going to be a fracturing. Right. The party is going to fracture because you are going to push those of us who are on the left. You're going to push us away completely. There's no way. There's no way that we are going to vote for Michael Bloomberg underneath any circumstance. Yeah. Not only that, it's such a slap. It's, a, it's such a slap in our face. Not only are we not going to individually vote for him, but we are going to organize to make sure that as many people as possible do not vote for him. Right. So the Democratic Party can play games with us if they want to, but they they about to cross the line they can't return from. Yeah, it, it's, it's it's getting to the point where, you know, where I, I just think the leadership of the Democratic Party are technically being pretty much managed through the eyes of of the Republican elite, and and, and really what black people are banking on is white people to bet against themselves. And when I when, mm-hmm. when I say that, it's like if you want true democracy. Democracy is part of one man being equal to one. It is no the the playing field becomes level, <laughs> and and white people yeah. has had a three hundred a three four hundred year head start, and they've always had that edge. Yeah, right. are, are they going to give that up? Are they going to vote against ourselves? And I just don't see it happening. Of course not. Yeah, I just don't see it happening. No. You know what I mean? I agree. I agree. They, it's, it's not going to happen, man. They listen, listen. These white folks, man. Bless them. They're going to vote for white people. They're going to vote for their power. They're going to vote to secure their future for all whatever the 14 words are that they use to talk about their white supremacy and the way they talk about it. They want to make sure. And then for those of them, for, for some of them, um, my guy over at The Nation, um, Adam Sewer, he, he coined this phrase, um, the cruelty is the point, right? For some of them, exactly. it's, not a just, it's not just about power. It's about the game. They're having fun. They enjoy Donald Trump attacking immigrants and attacking Muslims and attacking blacks. They love that shit. Right. So, so they're going to vote for him if for no other reason but the fact that they love what he does. It's, it's, it's just it's, it's just a cruel world out here, man. It's just it's it's, it's really unique in it terms is. of how the shift has happened, and everybody used to laugh and say it can't get any worse. It's gotten progressively worse every single month. Man, it's it's just unbelievable. Man, it's gotten worse, and that's a difficult thing. That's that's the thing. Like a lot of people are terrified of Donald Trump so much that they're getting ready to turn the party over to someone who's worse than Donald Trump, right? Like I'm not a I'm not a supporter of Klobuchar, Buttigieg, or Biden, but none of them are worse than Donald Trump, right? Right. They may not be a lot better than him, but they're not worse. Michael Bloomberg is worse in every measurable sense. 
You cannot tell me that he's not a white supremacist when we have video, right? You cannot tell me that he's not a sexist when there's over 40 to 60 cases against him and his company. You cannot tell me that he does not have disdain for poor people when he talks about us as if we are like the scourge of society and that who needs to be regulated with taxes. So in every way... I mean, also, let's go one step further. Michael mm-hmm. Bloomberg wants to cut Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. It's crazy. What are we talking about here? Crazy. So now we're, we're turning over the keys to, to, like, I mean, seriously, we are really getting ready to go to someone who's worse than Donald Trump just for the sake of beating Donald Trump. Just for the sake of beating Donald Trump. It's, it's outrageous. Yep. It's outrageous. Okay, I, I do want to talk, I do want to touch on your position on just a little bit of sports. I mean, you can do this for a while, but you know what I'm saying? But yeah. I do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do want to touch no, you about for a minute, man. The, I, just had, the, I hate, I hate, I got to cut off. At, I know, I know. Yeah, we could definitely do this again too. Um, the impact of Kobe, the impact of Kobe Bryant, and how he kind of like touched everybody from an international perspective. It's almost like he was almost like an iconic Ali type figure. You think what I'm saying? Um, yeah. What did you yeah. get out of just the, the just the overall, uh, you know, you know, response of the the the, the, the Mamba mentality? Man, you know, I loved. I absolutely. Wait, okay, let me let me start here. I'm a Miami Heat fan, so whenever he was playing, when Kobe was destroying us, some of those years, you know, I, you know, like anybody else, you were frustrated because they had Kobe. <laughs> right, right. Um, but, but, but I love what I loved the most, man, was that he was able to ascend above so much, and above the noise. He was able to ascend over uh, above his own um, his own ego, and he became such a, a, a such a human. Right, he, he was so human in the fact that you could see the love for his children, you could see the love for his community, you could see the love for our broader society, and all of that was wrapped in his spirit for greatness. Like, he just, he wanted to be the best. Right. And then once he got done playing, he wanted to pass that uh, that greatness down to other people. And so, it was just like, when when, we, when I got the news, man, it was like, I felt like a cousin had passed. You know what I mean? Right. I, I felt like yeah. somebody close to me had passed, and That's honestly, I wasn't even a, a fan of his. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Kobe was unique in the sense that people don't realize how much time they invested into his career. You dig what I'm saying? Like, you don't realize yeah. how much you invested into that dude. Like, damn, I've really watched this cat for 20, for 20 years. And, like, I had a real... Years, man. And either you, either you loved him or you just loved to hate him. And that's why you invested yeah, so much yeah, exactly. into him. Exactly. Exactly. He had a big place in all of our hearts, man. Like I said, like when I I was I was at an event for my 80 year old aunt, and I was there with my cousins. And when I got the news, and that like everybody, everybody in the room just kind of like, just like it was like really, really deep. And that's because we did spend so much time with them. Either if you loved them, you followed him every step of the way. If you loved to hate him, you hated to see him come, but you loved to see him play. Like nobody could lie about that. You hated to see him come to your city, but you still loved to see that man play. So it was. I mean, that was a a really tragic loss. Okay, real quick before we go, I want you to give your own self a plug on the Benjamin Dixon podcast. What can people expect on, on your pod? Man, you know what? What they can expect is a stream of consciousness that is 
reflective of whatever I'm feeling in terms of the political conversation. So my centerpiece is I do politics, presidential politics, but I also look at the broader society and, you know, sometimes culture. Uh, but I really look at where we are as, as a human, as a, as a species, right? And I, I put everything in context of how the politics of our today, what's happening right now in Washington, D.C., really affects us in the long run. And so I just let it rip, man. Sometimes we laugh. Sometimes we, we all the time we have some funky music, man. We just you let it, you know, let it bop. Um, I, I used to produce music when I was younger. Indeed. And so I just had to like start incorporating some some really quality sound because I want people to have an acoustic experience. When you listen to my show, I want you to have an emotional experience. And uh, I just pour out. I just pour out everything I have every every time I touch that microphone. Indeed, indeed. Smart people are fixing the building. This is Benjamin Dixon from the Benjamin Dixon podcast. He was the one who broke the news on Michael Bloomberg. Bloomberg is a racist. It's not a bot. It's a real movement going on right now started by this brother yeah, right yeah. here yo bro thank you thank That's you crazy. thank you so much for you know busting it up with me today on, on the bliss man podcast yo i gotta bring you back hey, man. man this is too easy for us i hey, gotta bring my you pleasure. back man let's stay in touch definitely send me the link so i can check this out and i, I thank you for having me on indeed indeed i'll be sending it out to you probably saturday afternoon bro so i got you i got you we in okay. here you know All right, looking forward to it, man. Indeed, Thanks indeed. So Smart people fixing the building. This is my main man, Benjamin Dixon, from the Benjamin Dixon Podcast. Yo, I'm so fired up still. I'm still so fired up. It's always good to find exclusive talent. But this weekend, is about to, we, about, we about to take it to another level right now. Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder, too. And I made a prediction about four weeks ago. I think this fight can do $2 million. Listen, I know that's a high number, but everybody I know is kind of juiced for this joint. Everybody I know is kind If they can crack two million, man, this is Bushman Podcast. We're going to go deep. We got my main man, Ty, from Keep It 100 Boxing. We got my main man, Kel Danby, from ESPN, calling from Vegas, live in Vegas. This is the Bushman Podcast. Glockerware Radio. We go way, 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 way. Way beyond whistle. This is Fly Sports Talk, not Dry Sports Talk, you heard. Blitz Mag. Blitz Mag Podcast. Every Wednesday, 7 to 9 p.m. on BlackAware.com.
Radio. We go way, way, way beyond what's fucking you standing bit. I'm still fired up because I got my brother right next to me, Ty. Keep it 100 boxing. We talking Wilder. We talking Fury. Part two. Ty, you with me? I'm with you, baby. I'm ready. I'm ready, man. Hyped up, man. Yo, yo, cuz. I'm I, Listen, first of all, when this fight was announced back in, I think, almost in like December. I wasn't I wasn't hyped for it. I ain't gonna lie. And... Bob Aaron, Bob Aaron, ESPN, Fox did their job. They got me hyped up. I, I ain't mean, gonna lie to you. They have done a remarkable job with this fight in terms of just building up the characters, just building up the lore of the fight. And they've been everywhere. Make they've been everywhere. They've been all over the Super Bowl prior uh, prior prior to mm-hmm. and, and and Fury and, t- and and Wilder to their credit has just done a remarkable job as just selling a fight as just being the best two in the like in, like in the world. Hey man, that's what, we, that's what we asked for, right? Right. This is what we asked for. You know what I'm saying? And these, are, <clears throat> and, 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 and I think when people, they gotta understand that these are, are gigantic men, yeah. Gi- gigantic men, six seven and six nine, gigantic <laughs> men. These are real. Like this is something that you really don't see. Yeah, like they, these guys ain't Joe Frazier size six foot one two oh five. Right, these guys are super heavyweights. All right, man. so we gonna add Kel in now. We about we about to we about to pull we about to pull him in. Okay, Cause, okay. Cause he just he just called, so we'll see what, if Kel is gonna be in the building. But this uh, this is what we all wanted: number one, number two heavyweight in the world fighting, undefeated guy. So indeed, we gonna get we gonna get what we wanted. Kel, hello. What's good? Smart people fixing hey, the building. We got What's Kel up? Dansby, ESPN, on the line right in Vegas, right? In Vegas. In Vegas. The press conference. All right, Kel. We got my guy, Ty Kaepernick. Keep it 100. Boxing. He's also on the show. I always wanted to connect you, brothers. So I said the best way to do it on this is on this is on this platform right here. What's going on, brother? Nice nice to meet you. Finally conversate with you, man. He might Yo, have... man. Great to meet you. It's a good week, man. Good week to have this talk. It's, it's, it's an amazing week. So, okay. So, you're out there. You're in Vegas right now. We just had the final press conference. Just give the fans the vibe right now. What what what's what's the buzz like in Vegas? Yo, it has that big fight feel right now. Like it has the the Mayweather weekends. The I don't I don't want to sound blasphemous, right? But it has that like little bit of an aura from when Tyson used to fight here. Really? It has that feeling. Yeah, you, you see it. It's not just the MGM. It's not just boxing Japan. Everybody's talking about this. Everybody in town here is talking about the fight. The fight is everywhere. It's the billboards from Park MGM to the freeway to the airport. Everything has Wilder and Fury on it. That's awesome. And it That's has awesome. that feel of something, yo, something legendary is about to happen. Exactly. And exactly. Exactly. Crazy. Yeah, man. You feel that energy. Because, honestly, this is the biggest heavyweight fight in the last 20 years, right? It might be. I mean, yeah, I, I mean in the last 20 years, can we think of a bigger heavyweight fight? Was with, uh, I guess Lewis Klitschko 
Nah, because remember, Klitschko, uh, he was late replacement. Right, exactly. Kurt Johnson was the real opponent, so you can't even say that. Nah, I'm, I mean, are we going all the way back to Lewis Tyson? You okay? Yeah, I think that's how far you have to go back. <laughs> wow, right? that's like, crazy. I mean, I'm just thinking about how big this is. I'm trying to is. think. Yeah. Yeah, that's such a good question. Like, Lewis Tyson, but was that really prime Mike? People nah. showed up because Mike was still Mike, but it wasn't prime Mike. Like, what are we talking? Maybe Holyfield? Probably Holyfield Lewis. Holyfield Lewis? Holyfield Lewis. Probably the first this, one? I, mean, I but, think this is bigger than Holyfield Lewis. Okay. Do you think it's bigger than, than, than the second one? The second one was big, too, but the first one was big. I mean, think I, about... I feel like this, this will go down bigger than that. Because Lewis, again, Lewis was great. He had his whole history, Olympian. Like, Lewis was good, but he really, personality-wise, he didn't touch the people. Mm-hmm. Holyfield was a good underdog, but that that was that. He's not Deontay Wilder. You weren't pulling quotes like this from them. Nah. That was two really good <laughs> boxers squaring off. These are two of the best boxers and even better showmen. These are the two best talkers in the sport. Indeed. Hands down right now. Mm-hmm. And when was the last time we seen two heavyweights in their prime, like in their prime of their careers, undefeated? That's, that's a long time. It's a lo- I mean, really, this is a very unique fight in the sense that these are arguably one and two in the heavyweight division, both in their physical peaks, both claiming that, you know, that they are the best in the world. One is the lineal champion. The other one has the IBF. WC. The WBC, I'm sorry, the you know the green belt, mm-hmm. the real one, <laughs> no, no franchise, right? No franchise like the real thing, hey, right? Hey, the real, hey. the real jank, the real jank, and um, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I just think that the, the the media and the fans, everybody I know, is kind of like involved in this. Like my sister, who's not really a big boxing fan, but a boxing fan, is like I'm having, I'm, I'm I'm buying the fight. Like everybody's talking about buying this fight. Do you think this fight can do 1.5? Listen, I, I am clearly on the inner workings of things. So talking numbers is a little, a little weird now, right? Right. And uh, right. I, you know, right. you know I, but I, I try to come on your show. I, I come on your show and I tell you the truth. Right. So even though I'm with ESPN, I can't, I can't front when I come on the show. I've been coming on the show for years. Indeed, smart I, I will let you know without without giving you exact numbers. And how everything works on the back end, because remember, it's co-promoted. There's regular pay-per-view through Fox, there's ESPN Plus pay-per-view mm-hmm. through us. There's, there's so many different entities involved. I'll let you know, though, 1.5, you're a little light on that number. Whoa! Yeah, see, Bob, Bob see, said too. Bob said too. See, see, we was talking before before we started the show, right? And we were talking about two million. And this fight to me had the two million. Two million fill, and if it does two million, everybody is like high five. Everybody's high five. Yeah, the crazy, the crazy thing is, is that here at ESPN we don't release our numbers, right? Because they're behind the ESPN Plus paywall. Mm. So we we know what stuff does. Um, we we can tell how good a fight is doing or. You know, like the Conor McGregor fight. No one's going to know pay-per-view numbers from the UFC Conor McGregor fight. Right. But you clearly know it was bigger than every other UFC pay-per-view we've had on ESPN. 
Right. Like you could feel it. Mm-hmm. And internally, we know what's going on. So, I mean, people might get the Fox numbers because a lot of those come out publicly. So hard to get the ESPN Plus numbers. But they don't be official so with like, the Fox numbers. <laughs> they don't release them. They be, they be common. Yeah, and like, exactly. So, like, <laughs> it, it's a weird dynamic of like trying to get the exact numbers. But I will, I will tell you, it's, it's so different for heavyweight boxing than anything. Than, than Mayweather, than McGregor. It's so different. Connor's the closest thing I've seen because people are willing to pay. Not bootleg, not stream, not fire stick. People want to pay because they know they're going to get their money's worth. With Floyd, people were trying every which way to try to bootleg because they wanted to see Floyd lose, but they knew the fight was going 12 and he was just going to style on someone. And for a lot of people, that was boring. Mm. This, people want to pay because the man in the main event has knocked out every single person that has stepped in the ring. Every single one. Stavern escaped once, came back, and got folded like a lawn chair in the rematch. Every single person has touched the mat. You see it? And it's not like we're just like, yo, we're selling wolf tickets, right? Like, yo, this might happen. We have a first fight to go off of. Fury fought the fight of his life and ended up on the canvas twice. Right. Once people thought he was dead. So, (laughs) people are like, yo, I know what we're going to get. I saw the first one. I've seen every man that's fought Wilder touch the mat. Chasing is amazing. Chasing didn't do that. Chasing wasn't guaranteed. Wilder's 95% knockout rate. <laughs> and the one guy crazy. that escaped got killed in the next time. <laughs> right. So you, you look at that, people are willing to pay. You said it yourself. People aren't saying, yo, I have to watch this fight. People are saying, I want you to buy. I want to buy the fight. Exactly. All right. All right. So everybody's going to take a turn here. We're going to start with Todd. Break down the fight. How do you you see this fight playing out? Well, it it really depends because Fury's saying he's coming a little heavier. He's going to bring the fight to Wilder. 270, he says he's coming at 270. I don't really know because Fury on the outside. He got a, you basically first, his wild. got a perfect fight, so I'm I'm assuming Fury said he gonna come to him. So I don't really know like, to be honest with a wild fight like like Kel that said man, he, everybody he touched go down. So if I had if I was a bet man, I bet Wilder by, by KO. So I'm I'm gonna go where I said online. I'm gonna go Wilder KO three. I think and KO in the third round. I think Fury with the, I think Fury with the. With the uh, outside the ring thing, I, with, with the body like catching up, we're gonna catch up to him. Mm. I, I, and I think Wilder come, coming off of uh, what he for he's in November, so he's still fresh. He went to a little vacation right back in training camp, right? So right. I feel like he's he, he, he fresh. But the key to the fight, in my opinion, now if Wilder focus on that cut and let Fury get in the rhythm and start styling on him, it might like the first fight, and he might not go down this time. But if I if I was a Batman, I'd say Wilder get him out of within within the third round. Throw a little jab, jab, round? throw that jab to the body, come up top. Don't keep head hunting. Okay, he might get him out of there. All right, all right, Kel, you up? Man, it, it's it's tough, but I'm going to agree in a way. So I, I really? think that change, yeah, changing trainers is real tough for me. Yeah, great you point. You change trainers, and yep. I think it takes two two fights really to get in with your new trainer. Maybe three. It's not like Tyson changed trainers 
after the last Wilder fight, fought the last two opponents, you know, Otto Wallen and Schwartz with his new trainer, and this is his third fight. That would have been smart. He changed his trainer two months ago. Right. So you look <clears throat> at that, that worries me. He comes in at 270, cool, that's a good, good game plan. I see what his trainer's trying to do. He's trying to lean on Wilder. He says, mm-hmm. yo, Wilder's 212 pounds. We can get him tired. He won't have that power in the 12th. You escape with the fight. Cool. If anything, we tire him really all the way out. Maybe we can get a stoppage. He's not knocking out Deontay Wilder. But fighting fans know you don't have to knock someone out. Sometimes you just got to beat them and throw 20 punches in a row, and the ref will do the dirt for you. He will stop the fight. So they're just thinking, if we're bigger, we can do this to a smaller man. And, and Fury says when you're in there, it's like being in there with a cruiserweight. You don't feel that power. Wilder feels small. That is a misconception. <laughs> Wilder wants to feel that way. He wants to feel lighter. People get this over, this sense of I'm bigger than him. I can walk into him and lean on him. And when you walk into that fist, you end up face first on the ground. Indeed. So I, I don't like kind of their, their game plan but again this is what happens when you game plan with someone new so he's going in there with someone new I, I don't like that for this fight and let's be real they both got rematch clauses we're going to see a third one right. sooner or later sooner or later so right. I, I think that one will be more of a real test of a new trainer but I think this one changing trainers this late in the game and close to the rematch I, I don't like it I'm taking Wilder knockout in the second mm, wow really predicting knockout Damn. in the second Wilder's going to get him in a second. Wilder's proven, and he's not a notorious fast starter, but in these rematches, I like his game plan, and I think Fury's going to come forward and walk into one more than Wilder's going to be able to chase him like he did in the first fight and, and try to hunt for it. This fight, Fury's going to walk into it and make the job a little easier for Deontay. And then I think we see, and Tyson Fury has the character where he'll bounce back, right? He can take the loss and be like, yo, cool, whatever. Let's go again. He's just crazy like that. The loss isn't going to mentally hurt him moving into a third fight. He'll learn from it. But I, I think he, he walks into it. And by the way, Wilder says he's at 230 pounds today. So if he comes in at 225, this is the biggest he's been since like the first Vern fight. Right. Which only bodes better for Wilder. Indeed. All right. So, all right. So, I'm, I think Wilder knocks him out, but I think 10th round, I'm going with 10th round KO. And, 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 and there, there are some things that, one, I, I don't, I think people are trying to minimize the fact that Wilder was bigger. I mean, that, that Fury size did bother Wilder a bit. And Fury doesn't really throw a jab, but he does throw a big mitt. And for and and, and, and and like because Wilder wasn't like as technical and Fury was the better boxer, Fury was able to get range on on Deontay whenever he really wanted to, because he had that big ass paw and he had just stick it out there and was, Deontay would just kind of like run right into it, and and that were and that was affecting him over time and and I, and I think Fury is is going to do it. what he what he said was. You know, he's going to try to lean on Deontay, which means he's not going to give Deontay the space he has to throw those, to throw those long bombs. And I think that's what Fury is saying. I'm going to fight him a little bit more closer because I noticed that whenever I give Deontay space, he, eventually the ball can touch me. 
So, what Fury is thinking that maybe if I can lean up on him, so what I think it's going to take Deontay a couple rounds to adjust. I can see Fury coming out, you know, winning a few, few rounds. I think Deontay starts catching up, catching up to him around the sixth round. And because of the, the extra weight, Fury won't be in the kind of physical shape to fight this type of fight for, you know, a 12-round round fight. And I think Deontay, he knocks him out in 10th round. So you think he going to try to... Uh... Remember when he fought Steve Cunningham and he, and he got dropped, he, he tried to walk Cunningham down. So you think he going to try to bring it to Wilder and try to walk him down, lean on him, punch him. Look, remember, like, Steve dropped him. He would hit Steve with body shots, linked on him. He got a little dirty. Right. So that's what you think uh, Fury going to do in the rematch? I think Fury's going to play a little bit closer to him because I don't. Mm. I think that the range, Deontay, I think Fury fears Deontay's range. The full power of that right hand. The full, the power, full power of the right hand. That's where he got caught. It wasn't lots of, of short stuff. Now, the beauty of it is, is that the knockout punch against Ortiz was a little bit shorter. So Deontay do have short power, which I do agree with you guys that he, he yep. could knock him out in the uh, second or third or, or, or third round. But, you know, Deontay's normally a slow starter. Like, he wants to kind of, like, you know, figure you out. And I believe, and I, I agree with Kel with the, uh, what he was saying about the rematch because – I think Deont- I'm not saying Deontay looked a past Fury, but I'm saying maybe they didn't get the right sparring partners the first time. Right. Because how many six nine guys you gonna find that can move can move like uh, Tyson Fury? No. You can't you can't find none. So no. They, he's they the probably, only one. They probably couldn't find no good sparring for that. Right. Bring up Julius Long. Where he at? <laughs> right. 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 I mean, you probably had to go the cruiserweight weight route and not worry about the size as much in terms of just the nimbleness. You know what I'm saying? Just in the way that Tyson moves on his feet. Okay. So we all think. Wilder, some way, shape, or form, is going to pull this thing out. What's next for Deontay right after this fight? Like, what would be the next best step for him? Well, if he won, I, if he won, I would say go get Dylan White. The, 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 um, get your brand. Get, he already been in the UK, right? But get even bigger. And if Fury was the win, go for undisputed. I think they probably can make that fight. Oh, if Fury, if Fury wins, they're going to be undisputed. If that, Fury wins, he's going undefeated. Like he's going straight for. That's a summertime big fight in the yeah, UK. UK. But he's if, going straight for that fight. But if I'm Deontay, maybe like I said, I would want to get Dylan White. I don't want to see Kurnaki. No, no, no. I mean, if, if I'm Wilder, I'm going uh, straight to NJ a- a- too, though. Right, Cal? So one, Tyson Fury's never fighting outside of Las Vegas again. Really? He did say that. So, True. Just like you. Mm. Yeah, like this, it's it's a wrap. He's fighting here at the MGM and nowhere else ever again. Gotcha. So, uh, at least in these three fight contracts. So, he says he probably walks away after this. Who knows? He has made a lot of money. So, he could walk away. But I feel like the man loves boxing. For Not to be exaggerated, boxing saved his life. So, he was doing everything else under the sun. He got his love back from boxing. He's sober. He found God. He's training every day. This is what he loves to do. That being said, if he wins, Fury, I can see them chasing the fight with Anthony Joshua. I think that's a good fight for him. Joshua would have to come here to the United States and to Vegas, which is a good platform for Anthony Joshua. And the only only way that makes sense is Fury is the A side of that. They can negotiate it, and Fury then tells Wilder, yo, we're going to do a third one. We're contracted for a rematch. Let me get all of these belts and then become undisputed and then fight you in the trilogy. Because if not, 
if we fight an immediate rematch, AJ is going to run forever. Mm -hmm. We will never unify this division. So let me let me become undisputed, and then we'll fight again for all the marbles. That's so, that, that's a good choice. So what, you like, so what if Deontay wins? We're going to do it again. So what if Wilder if wins? Deontay wins, and Joshua's never fighting Deontay Wilder, <laughs> right? Like let's, let's just be real. And Anthony Joshua's chin is paper mache. He got dropped by an old man Klitschko. He's not fighting Deontay Wilder. Anthony Joshua fights Deontay Wilder. You can set your clock. It's not going past twelve minutes. Yeah, I think it's gonna, I think Wilder knocks. Fight. I think Wilder he knocks AJ sh straight out. Yeah, and I, I and the, oh, he he makes him look bad. And from what bad. I'm hearing, with, with this Pulev fight is gonna be real, real big over Bulgaria. That's what I'm hearing. Oh, for real? It's gonna yeah. be real, real, real big. He about to get another big check, like, <laughs> like, like, like a fifty million dollar joint, a forty million dollar check, something crazy like that. You know, Eddie Hearn get that that foreign money, so <laughs> we never really, really know. But I believe it. He gonna <laughs> yeah, get him a bag. I, yeah, I think they can dodge Wilder for a while. And from what I read, they said Pulev was bringing like twenty thousand people with him, like uh, twenty thousand his fans with AJ fans. They they trying to do a stadium over there in Bulgaria somewhere, if it's true. I mean, what, what, yeah, I think. Right. I'm, I'm sorry, Dale. AJ, I think, goes back uh, and fights in London next. But, but, yeah, I think, you you know, you got, like, your opponents lined up, right, for AJ. So you have Pulev, and then you have Usyk, which I, I don't know if he gets past Usyk. So <laughs> that's a whole different, yeah, he, he the w. That's a whole different topic right there. Yeah, um, Usyk, I, I think, is better than Anthony Joshua. He's just smaller. So when you look at that, it's like, all right, well, he has a pass, but these big fights, as long as he fights the mandatory next, which he will in around May, he can say, you know what, I'm not going to fight Usyk yet, I want to take one of these big fights. So they're, they're on the table for him, they just have to be willing to travel, they have to be able to make a really big fight. Against Deontay Wilder, it might be a little easier, Wilder to say, you don't have to come to Vegas, I'll fight you in Brooklyn. Easy to get UK fans, a little easier on the travel, media that would work out better but again it's a dangerous fight that I don't think he wants at all he wants Tyson Fury to win I think they can make that happen if Wilder wins we're going to get a trilogy fight with Tyson Fury because it makes sense it makes money right. believe it or not these two like each other like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, res they respect each other at the least they like each other to a good level so they'll talk all this stuff and this is this is sport this is me and you playing ball outside we run in a full and I'm talking trash all game, but afterwards we get in a slice and the Arizona iced tea, right? So this is this is just fun sportsmanship between the two of them. Okay. And in the end, I don't think either of them likes Anthony Joshua. So if you know you make all this money, I rather they rather give it to Fury, and Fury rather give it to Wilder than go give it to Anthony Joshua. Right. True indeed. True indeed. Okay, my last question for both guys. Can't because of the success or the potential success of this fight, could this be the groundwork for Crawford Spence this time next year with all the media, with the Super Bowl, with the you know you know announcing it back in November? Could we do the same thing for Best in the World pound for pound if Crawford and Spence go unscathed in two thousand twenty? I, well, I hope that's a, that's the, that's the fight I want to see. I think, I mean, if you ask me before this, I said it's the biggest fight in, in, in the sport. You got two young guys in this undefeated in this prime. Right. We, we ain't seen that since Tito and Oscar. 
Right, exactly. So I'm oh, just saying, I'm like, sorry, this I'm is sorry, the I'm model. Sorry. Can I'm sorry. this be the model? Keith Thurman and Danny Garcia. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I got to be respectful. But sort of. Yeah, but Asa <laughs> De La Hoya and Ch- Fleet Trinidad, when, when it was like 50-50, who going to win? These two young cats, that's the big, it's the biggest fight I want to see. I told everybody I paid $100 to just watch that one fight. Right. <laughs> like, this could be the model this time next year for that fight. You know what I'm saying, Kel? Yeah, I mean, I am taking Bob Arum for his word. What Bob Arum's a lot of things. He's not necessarily a liar, right? Like right. he's 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 very loud about his opinions. Some people may think his opinions are wrong a lot of the time, but the guy likes to lie. Even. Um, I, I'm telling you, this this is doing big business. This this fight is huge, and Al Heyman and Bob Arum love money. They mm-hmm. love money. Now, does you know, Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence, neither of them are stars like these guys, right? Like, Errol Spence isn't going and doing WWE. <laughs> Terrence Crawford isn't on the mass Singer. Like, you know, you can't talk like... Terrence, I take that back. Terrence can talk trash just like Wilder does. Terrence just chooses not to. Um, but it's just not in his persona. They're not larger than, like, characters. Right. They're not going to sell as much. But they can outsell any other fight that those two have ever had, which is incentive to go in there and do this again. I, I think this was the test run for PVC and Top Rank to say, listen, Eddie Hearn and The Zone, Matchroom and Golden Boy are doing their thing over there. That's Matchroom and Golden Boy. That's okay. They have their own little thing going. Why don't we try to have our thing going? Right. And now it's like us versus them. Kinda, you know, like we let's let's see how much pull we have. And they said we have Fox and we have ESPN. Let's see how we can promote a fight. They didn't do a crazy press tour. They didn't do any of that this time. They didn't. They did two Mm -hmm. press events for an hour each, and they said, you know what? Only thing we're going to do is flex how much muscle we have in our partners. So we're running commercials on the Super Bowl. We're running commercials on Heisman Night. We're running commercials on the draft stuff. Everything on ESPN, everything on Fox, we're running. These guys are on the Mass Singer. They're, we're running commercials places where only thing we're doing is leveraging our partnership. Right. And not using these guys to promote the fight. Why? Because Harris Crawford, Errol Spence aren't going to promote the fight that much. Then you're going to look at Teofimo Lopez and or Lomachenko versus... Uh, let's say Tank Davis when they go against each other maybe that's a little bit better promotion but let's take out the variable of how likable two guys are let's see how big and strong we are as promoters and it's plug and play if we put the same amount of push on top of them right. and then lo and behold it was a huge success and they're like you know what why can't we do this three times a year we can put anyone in these so if we want to do a summer one Mm-hmm. NBA playoffs, cool. We're running all these commercials, MLB All Star Game, all these commercials. Right, they're doing, and they'll just say we have all of this leverage, and we can use this to promote whoever we want. So now we can do business. Now it will always make sense because it doesn't matter who's talking on the mic. We sold this fight to the moon before even two of these guys touched the mic. All you need is a highlight reel of knockouts and two people who are champions, and we can sell that fight. Right. So I think we get a a lot more promotional fights. Now we can get Spence, and we can get 
Crawford this year, at the end of this year. Why? Because you don't need them to talk. You need Errol Spence to show up in Dallas during the season, hugging Jerry Jones, and put that on Fox. Yep. You need Terrence Crawford to show up to Monday Night Football, put that on there. Mm-hmm. You have all the, you know how big and powerful the platforms are. And you can put anyone there you want, and people will be like, oh, cool, let me watch that. Exactly. Exactly. This is a perfect setup right here, right now. I I, I just love what's like what's been going on. I, I don't think I'm glad that the <clears throat> networks and, and and all the players involved have really put their best foot forward to making this show a success because this is the energy that UFC always be able to generate. And it's it's, it's yep. and it's refreshing to have, have it for once in boxing. Exactly, and, and just imagine, let's imagine Earl Smith and Terrence Crawford on first take. Everybody watch first take. Is in every barbershop, is in the doctor's office. Let's imagine that. Yeah, I mean, so I, I, I'm glad that they. It's great if 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 if, if real rap, if if like the PBC, if Al and Bob can really start working together. We can get a lot of great fights. Yeah, it ain't got to be a monthly thing. Just like, like, like my man said, yeah, like Carol like said, three couple, times a year. Yeah, a couple times a year. <laughs> just give us a couple of these drinks a year, and we and we good. That's that's a fact. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, Smart. that's it. That's all it takes. A couple of times, and there's good fights a couple of times. Right. So you go, you know, Lomachenko, or you go, I'm just going to talk up Teofimo Lopez. So when you talk to me in three months, by the way, I'm picking Lopez to be Lomachenko. Me too. Nonetheless, wow. Lopez me too. pushing wow. Devontae Davis, mm. let's get it. And then after that, Terrence Crawford versus Errol Spence. Keith Thurman. Get it. You can do these things now. Thurman's done. Oh, Keith, Keith got to do something else. No, like, Thur- Thurman's, Thurman's no, done. No, I say Keith because Keith, Keith always talking. Keith keeps saying Bud too small. That's why I keep saying, he keeps saying Bud too small. He got to do something. Because he, so, I heard he walking around at 190 right about now. So Keith talking trash. I say Keith because Keith be talking trash. That's why I say Keith. Keith only coming back for that Pacquiao rematch. He ain't coming back for nothing else. Well, he, he ain't getting that, so he might retire. He, he, I think Keith is done personally. I think I, I think he might get. Yeah, I think, I think he's done as a major guy. Yeah, I think he's so. I think done. they might do Keith versus Ugas next. It was the reason he was he was at that fight. Ugas and Keith. Ooh, what a good fight that is! Ooh. That's a great yeah, fight. Me up for that one. I didn't even think about that. Ooh. I just Let's I just can't it. see Thurman taking it. The money's not there. Like he's spoiled. I mean, he ain't getting the pack out money. Yeah, he get a nice guarantee. He's spoiled, man. He want that big check. He want a, he want a big fight. He and he can keep losing. He can keep losing for the big checks. Because, I mean, honestly, like, Errol knocks his block off. So, like, what do you... I, I don't know what we're, we're doing there. Like, you can go and lose, or he can go and prove that he's a top three, top four guy and wants to concentrate on boxing. It's been so long since I felt like he wanted to be a boxer. Mm-hmm. And that's a horrible thing to say, but I, he's just doing it to do it. He's going through the motions. He, he hasn't been one time in five years. And the crazy thing about that, I watched that fight a lot, man, and I felt like if he had been a little bit more sharper, because he was catching with Manny in the mid, mid-rounds, right. if he's a little bit more sharper, he might have got him out of there. But he wasn't in the ring. He wasn't but active. He's, he's not even trying to fight now. Nah, like, nah. like, if he stayed active right now, he can get sharp, but he's not. He's just sitting back. He's waiting. He's going to come back in, and you're going to look at him and be like, man, if he was a little more sharp, he could probably win it. Hey, listen. It, it's like when you watch, so what's, um, what's his face now? Like Amir Khan. Amir Khan is the same way. It's like, yeah, Amir, you know what? You you might not be washed, 
but you don't fight enough to get better. Right. Mm-hmm. So oh. you're still going to get washed by the better fighter. Yeah. Yeah, Amir Khan is trash. I mean, yeah, Amir Khan is done. Okay, real, real quick, before before you go, what's going on with the buffoonery in a Triple G's camp? Mm. Because, you know... Triple G's not healthy, man. He's not healthy. Well, he hurt himself, but, you know, he was working out with Big Victor Conti, and then Conti kind of kicked him out of the... Uh, he got out of the program because he said Triple G, he wasn't really being dedicated enough. And he, and before he actually, you know, pulled the calf muscle, he actually postponed the fight twice. It just seems like he has, a, you know, you know, he didn't bring, you know, uh, Sanchez is not there anymore. You know what I mean? It seems like he has a lot of, a lot going on in that camp right now. From, from what I heard, I heard that, uh, oh, his, his trainer Banks Banks wanted him To try different things To get stamina Because he was doing The same thing for years Right And it, he, that's why He went out to snack And I, and when I'm, I'm guessing What I heard That Victor Conti Wanted him to take the, take the vitamins And on the daily regimen And he wasn't trying to do that oh. He stuck in his ways But but Banks one, Jonathan Banks I keep on listening Jonathan Banks Jonathan I, I, Banks I'll be sure Right um, They wanted him To do something different Because the, the, the Chinko fight And the Rose fight He didn't like his stamina He wanted to do something better You know As a fighter A basketball player You can't do the same routine For 15 years Right 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 Exactly I mean Triple G's is basically To me He's waiting for one For one fight That that quite possibly Canelo may not Never give him I think he'll give it to him Yeah You say what He is good in the fight He's going He's getting the fight I, I think he gets it But I don't think He wins like, no. His opportunity to win was catching Canelo three years ago. Like when he lost those fights, I, I was always of the opinion Canelo is only going to get better. Yep. Triple G is older; he's only going to get worse. Yep. So Canelo now is fighting guys 175 pounds, 168 pounds. He's going to come back down to 160, and he's going to be like, "This is really light work." He's going to be like, he, he hit me with everything in the kitchen sink before, and I took Triple G's best shot. That was to hit my people much bigger. I'm much better, and Triple G is older, so his power is going down. What does now? What does he have for me now? Right. So I, I think it's going to be an easier fight for Canelo. And, and Triple G, let's just be real. Manny Pacquiao is a freak of nature and in so many different regards. We took that for, you know, just we took it for granted for years. Was he as good as Floyd? Probably not. But in terms of, like, a freak of nature, we haven't seen anything like Manny Pacquiao ever. A guy who starts at 115 pounds and has to put rocks in his pockets to make 150 pounds and then goes all the way up to 154 at times and keeps power throughout. That's never supposed to happen. And then when the guy doesn't have power, he hasn't had a true knockout since, like, 2011, he's still winning fights, and then... He beats Keith Thurman, a legit world champion in his run, at the age of 41. That's not the norm. Pacquiao, Hopkins, these guys are freaking natures. Mm-hmm. Triple G is the normal boxer. You turn 38, you're trying everything in your mama's house to try to stay relevant. You're trying to do anything you can to feel like you did when you were 32 because you're no longer 32. And you feel that every single day. Everyone's catching up to you. So the problem with Triple G is, is he's getting older, and he doesn't want to get older. How do you get injured in camp when you've never been injured? How do you strain stuff or pull your cap? It's because you're going too hard. You're trying to overcompensate. You're doing stuff like you did when you were 28, and your 38-year-old body says, you know what, the hell with this. I'm out of here. And Mm -hmm. breaks down on you. 
he just doesn't realize that yet. Father Time caught him, and there's nothing he's going to be able to do in that Canelo fight. Besides possibly get stopped for the yeah. first time in his career. Possibly. Just because it's, it's cool. It was great. But it, the end of the road comes for everyone, unless your name's Floyd Mayweather and you don't get hit, or your name's Manny Pacquiao, and somehow he's on the fountain of you. I don't, I don't understand it. But even then, you put him in the ring against Earl Spence or Terrence Crawford, and I think Father Time catches Manny real quick. Indeed. Indeed, indeed. It's my professional building. This is my main man, Kel Dansby, ESPN. Yo, Kel, man, tell everybody what's going on with you right now. Real quick. Man, yeah, it's busy fight weekend. Make sure you follow our platform on ESPN. ESPN Ringside for all the information. And I do a ton of cool interviews, behind-the-scenes videos. Uh, I run that account, so please show support. We're growing it now. It's the newest account on ESPN social media, so I'd appreciate that. You can follow me on social media at... Kel Dansby, check out my podcast every week, The Corner Podcast, myself and Andreas Hale. Indeed. That's pretty much it, man. It's great to be here to talk to you, especially on a fight week. Always. I can't wait to get back on the show. Indeed, indeed. Yo, Kel, thank you so much. Your words and your wisdom is greatly appreciated, brother. Thank you so much, man. Always a pleasure to hear your thank voice. You. Indeed. Indeed, man. So listen, we bring you back real soon. You know how, how we do. Smart people fishing in the building. That's my main man, Kel Dansby. Kel Dansby from from ESPN, I'm all over the place. Okay, yo, we just gonna jump. We just gonna keep it going, man. Cause I got my boy Anthony Gilbert. You know what I mean? Give me a call from Hoop Magazine. I'm about to just we just about to jump right into it because I never got a chance to talk to AG about Kobe. And I know AG is really close to to, to being in his family. All right, so we just gonna call AG right now. We just gonna jump right into it. This is Bushman Podcast, Godward Radio. Man, this is this is what we do. What's up, man? Smart people fishing the building. AG, what's going on, fam? We just we just put you um, right in, man. We just plug we just plug you straight into it. the show. You know what I'm saying? Uh, let's let's go for it. Indeed, I'm, I'm all I'm all ready for that. All right, all right, yo. So we got my man also on the mic, my man Todd Kaepernick. He got a platform two two called Keep It a Hundred Boxing. But before we get into the boxing, let's talk some All-Star Weekend because, again, the mm-hmm. NBA showed out. Again, the NBA had it right. They outsmarted everybody. They was two steps ahead. <laughs> I mean, the All-Star game was just amazing, right? Oh, man, yeah. They did a really good job. I, thought they know, did. I think they uh, exceeded the expectations. Agreed, because at first, see, I understood what they were doing. But... Here's the thing. The All-Star game is, is insignificant because of the fact that the Team Giannis went mm-hmm. in there with a different type of intensity than that you usually see in the All-Star game. Like, they were actually playing hard, trying to win, like, trying to make a statement. Like, Giannis pretty much went out there and set a unique tone that, you know, that, like, you normally don't see in the All-Star game. And then LeBron is like, hold up, we got to meet this challenge. And then the game just kind of like manifested from there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the tone definitely was set. And if you think about Antetokounmpo, like he's a big, big, like fan of Kobe, like a big student of, of Kobe and everything that he stood for. So to ask him to give his all and, and to play at a high level in the, in the exhibition, like that's no problem. That's no problem at all. And then, the way the game was flowing, especially late 
in the third and fourth quarter, it was a no-brainer. Like, we got an instant classic. It was uh, it's definitely like a, a playground a pickup game. Yes, yes, yes. It had a Rucker Park yeah. kind of feel, feel to it where, like, guys was just yeah. balling real hard. You know what I'm saying? And it was, yeah. it was just trash talking and, like, you know, it, it just felt good because these are the kind of runs that you always hear about in L.A. that, yo, oh, LeBron dropped 60, da-da-da, and he was talking trash. Like, mm-hmm. you don't get a chance to see those kind of runs. And it was like, it's like they forgot that they were at the, at the All-Star game, and they was just balling. You know what I'm saying? It was like, yo. Yeah, yeah, and arguing over calls. Yes, it, taking it charges. Was, it was good. It was, it was just a, <laughs> It was good. It was so good, yo. All right. Let's yeah, do, we let's, haven't had an All-Star game like that in 2001. Tell me tell me why Aaron Gordon cannot win a slam dunk contest. <laughs> like, what's going on oh, with that? Oh, man. It's unfortunate, man. I mean, the first time, 2016, that was an epic dunk contest. Epic. Um, you know, I think Zach Levine definitely deserved a slight edge. Um, this time around, I would say they definitely should have had a, a co-winner. I'm, Either that or figure out what it looks like in terms of the dunk-off because the judges were making it up as the the athletes were competing, and that's unfair to them and to the fans. All right, so I got a real quick solution. So after you have the dunk-off, because I think they had one, just tally up all the mm-hmm. points. Just tally up the points. Tally up all yeah, the points. Yeah, if, you, okay. if, if they tally all right. up all the points, then Gordon wins. He yeah, because he had like four fifty. Yeah, five fifties and like one forty five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like one forty seven, yeah. which should have been a fifty. The last dunk right. when he jumps over top yeah. should have been a fifty. So every dunk he did, yeah, he, he got he got the jerk. It's yeah, totally jerk. But I think I feel like Derek Jones had a had a great showing as oh, well. He was brilliant. He was awesome. I, yeah, I think it's hard to pick one definitive winner. Um, so I just say, hey, give it to both of them. You yeah, know? And yeah. Because Aaron Gordon definitely deserves it, right. for sure. And then he he said what we all knew he was going to say in the in the press conference. He's like, I'm, I'm never doing this again. I'm never and rightfully so. Yeah, indeed. I guess he should feel that. Actually, I think you should name the dunk contest award after him. Awful, oh, my God! <laughs> like, like you know what? I mean, like, he, he he did the Aaron Gordon award. The one when when Markel folks stood off of the side of the backboard. It's crazy! He caught it and spun in the air. That was like, man! It's one of the greatest dunks I've ever seen, yo. You know, like yeah, he he did that. He even had Dr. J like what? Cheering. Exactly. Yeah, yeah which is saying a lot. Which is saying a lot. You know what I mean? Because it's nothing. There isn't a dunk that Doc really couldn't do, and like Gordon right. was just doing shit out there that Doc was like, "Damn, I, I probably couldn't even done that shit." Like so, you know what I mean? It's just it's just unfortunate. And like, and I I thought Derrick Jones had a kind of a, 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 like a spring that that you really don't even see in a dunk con, uh, contest. So like mm-hmm. like he he was doing some funky stuff too. It's like it's no doubt. That he was doing some ill stuff. So like both deserve the award, just like you said. Um yeah. okay, so so we've actually had a few weeks to to reflect on the loss of Bean. Like where exactly are with you with everything that has trans like that has transpired? And are you at peace with it now? Uh 
Well, I'm kind of at the point where I'm starting to like understand that this actually happens. Right. Um, I told my mind that I was okay with it. I said my goodbyes um, that night. But, um, I, you know, everybody's still talking about it. And what I used to do was just growing up in Philly, people typically didn't like him. So what I used to do was I used to bring them to Lakers games and into the locker room so that, so that they could meet him. Right. True indeed. And, and I have forgotten about that. So I'm reading social media. People are tagging me to stuff. And they're like, yeah, I remember when um, Anthony Gilbert, you know, introduced me to him. And he was he was really cool and down to earth. And it changed my whole perspective on him. And, and like, people giving me all these, like, instances. And I'm like, wow, I forgot about that. I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah, I do remember that. Or, yeah. Man, like, like, wow, a lot of people have these stories about him based off of, like, you know, these introductions that I used to do. But I said, about, oh, yeah, for real, you hate him? Okay. How long you known him? And they're like, I don't know. That's your man. Right. I'm like, oh, okay. Okay. Um, that's interesting. You hate him, though. Like, you hate him? He's like, yeah, I hate him. I'm like, all right, so you want to go to the game? It's in D.C., though. Like, do you want to go? And I'm like, yeah, I'm down. And then we'd be in the locker room, and I'm like, go and tell him. <laughs> Tell them that you hate they're him. Like, they're like, yo, can I, can I get a picture real quick? I'm like, oh, okay. Oh, remember, remember, remember when Tupac said, like, oh, you a Muslim now. <laughs> like, I, I used to do that all the time, man. And, like, I had forgotten about that because, like, for, like, I want to say a good 15 years, I was like, go in the barber shop or I'd be on the block or at the park and somebody always has something negative to say and I was just defending them and defending them um, and towards the end uh, people really started to embrace them so you know no, that, I, that was cool right because I, I think one of the things I think people really appreciated about being was Kobe became the ultimate gentleman in terms of mm-hmm. just understanding what it meant for him to be a man and understanding what he had to go through to get to where he was. And some and, and I said this on my podcast some, some time ago about being is that sometimes when you're trying to find who you are, that makes other people un- like uncomfortable. And it's okay because right. you are searching for your own this is your own personal journey. And I think, right. and, and, and I think Bean did that. I think Bean was made people uncomfortable, on, like on purpose, because he was still searching. And once he became at peace with himself, and and, and understood, and, and really start digging on his career and looking at all his accomplishments and seeing how he was like, an, like almost like a legend within the game. I think he was truly mm-hmm. at peace with his career. And once he he became at peace with his career. That's when Kobe start mending all these fences, like all the hate yeah. that, that he had in Philadelphia. When the last time he came to Philly, he came to stand and no, like that made every, yeah. like you know, like Kobe kind of like every like the the beef with Shaq, like Kobe fixed that beef before everything was done all done, like like mm-hmm. all the bridges mm-hmm. that Kobe burnt along the way. 
He said, yo, I had to find who I was. You know what I mean? You understand? I was searching for, I was searching to be who I am now. And look who yeah. I, and look and who I, I became. And, and that's the beauty I, of the I being. I think that's legacy. fair. I think that's fair for sure. I mean, I, I, uh, I like how you have, um, assessed that and, and so eloquently, uh, stated that because it's true. It's true. He really was, um, a man on a mission. Indeed. And he got to a uh, got to a point where he was able to be like, okay, mission accomplished, and um, you know, let's let's live our life, let's pay it forward, let's take the game and take creativity and and film and and and, and writing and take those to places where um, they haven't been, and and right. he was able to do that in just a short period of time, and, and I think the. the the best part of Kobe was yet to come. I thought Kobe kind of like the philanthropist. Kobe, the uh, the conscious Kobe Bryant was about to unleash on pretty much on this international landscape because as you can mm-hmm. see, the way he just moved people around the world, like you saw his voice actually could actually change a narrative. It could move a needle and just you can see the impact of his life like pretty mm-hmm. much unfold in front of everyone and it's, it's it was it was really beautiful to see to be honest with, with you it was it's like i haven't seen any entertainer in my lifetime just be ingratiated with just so much love based upon a horrible tragedy it's, it's just been amazing and i hope that you know his mentality to be the best person that like you can possibly be every day would just would just be something that people will hold dear in their heart, you know what I'm saying? Because that's yeah, what he yeah. strive for, like almost every day. Yeah, no, man. It, it's again, I I think that's that encapsulates who he who he, he was. Right. Uh, I used to show up to the game, and I'd walk into the locker room, and by then, uh, all his teammates knew. Like, okay, that's that's Kobe's homeboy. So like Derek <laughs> Fisher. Lamar Odom, like they would see me and be like, yo, you know he's working out. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I just come in and talk to some of you guys, get some quotes or whatever. But Kobe literally would work out and play the game before the game, <laughs> cool down, get ready, and then go out and play the game. So I would always talk to him like post game. But towards the end of his career, he started doing like pregame availability. And I was like, okay, all right, things have changed. Things have changed. Yeah. Like he he has his five rings, and he's at peace with it. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, it was awesome. It's awesome, man. Um, I just, I mean, cause we actually did a celebration show. Just one, we just did a show pretty much to celebrate his life. We didn't get caught up in the grief. We just wanted to think about all the, you know, the amazing things that he brought to this game. He brought to the world world of sport. And uh, you know, it's just a, it, it, you know, I, I think you know the the boy turned the man, the Philly brother turned out to be one of the more impressive gentlemen that we've actually seen in this country. And he just, mm-hmm. you know, and like I said, he's always I think towards the end, the beauty of it all is that he tried to make amends with everyone that he burned the bridge with, and, and that and that's the mark of a real dude. You know what I'm saying? So uh, yeah, and then and and then on the other side, like bridges were burned towards him too right you understand like it's not his fault that 
you know, he wasn't embraced by the city. It's not his fault. It's not his fault that he grew up outside the city. Um, but he will, he told me countless times, and I used to write it all, all the time. Like, he told me, like, hey, look, man, like, really don't really bang with me like that. But everything I am in, in my whole game is all Philadelphia. Because you got to understand, like, he lived here, he was born here, and he lived here until he's about three. Right. And he moved to Houston, and he moved to San Diego, and he moved overseas. And he comes back, and he's home for five years. So that's eight years of his life. He was in Philly, and he embraced it. He's, he was a huge Eagles fan. Yep. And, you know, he embraced that Philly basketball, like, his most important years for basketball were here in Philly, and that's where he was really able to put it all together. Indeed, indeed. All right, my final question is, what are mm -hmm. we expecting from our Sixers in the second half of the season? Like, how far do you think we can go? Are we real championship contenders? No. No, they're not. Um, <laughs> oh, my god. What I'm... Yeah, I know they oh. should be on paper. On paper, they definitely are. The problem is they have the pieces. My problem with this team is is how they move outside of the game. So when you play in Atlanta and your next game is in Orlando, right. you decide to stay in Atlanta instead of flying out to Orlando, and that's just because like. I get it. The players want to enjoy the nightlife, but the, the great season. teams... It's the season, man. Yeah, the great teams understand some sacrifices need to be made. Right. And it's like, hey, first, first bus is at 1030. We got to get out of here. Right. Um, and, and what I'm looking forward to is this summer, uh, ESPN is going to do a 10-part series on the Chicago Bulls and their last championship. Indeed, I cannot wait. And I... Yeah, I want everybody to watch that, and I want them to see what a real championship team does. And, yeah, hey, sometimes personalities clash. And, and hey, Michael Jordan was not easy to play with. But guess what? They all sacrificed some of their comfort level for the greater good of hoisting that trophy up in the air in June. Yep. And that's what people need to see. People need to see, like, wow. This is actually what it takes because you only know unless you play on a championship team. But to see this documented and to have commentary is going to help a lot of young players. Like, wow, I've been wrong this whole time. Like, <laughs> this is really what it needs. This right. is really what it takes. Right. You know? Yeah, indeed. Smart Peter Fish in the building. This is my main man, Anthony Gil Gilbert, Hoop Magazine. Yo, AG, if people want to catch you, where can they find your stuff? They can find my stuff on uh, Hoop Magazine. It's published on NBA.com. So it will Indeed. be hoop.nba.com. Um, and then, of course, all my social accounts are AX Gilbert. And I post a lot of, like, my videos and stuff on there. So I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Yo, yo, brother, thank you, man. Your words and your wisdom is definitely appreciated, bro. Yo, man, thank you so much, man. You always bring the heat on the show, bro. Thank you so much again. 
You know what I mean? Ain't no problem, T. No always, problem at all, man. Always, man. I keep saying we got to go out one day, man. Just get a bite, something. We do. And chop it up. <laughs> we do. You know what I'm saying? We just got to hey, do man. it one day. No doubt. Indeed. Indeed. No doubt, brother. This is my brother right here. And Magazine, NBA.com. You can catch him. This is the Blitz Now Podcast, Gawkwa Radio. We go way, way, way around. Whistle, smart people stay in the building. Yo, two, we did it again. We did it. This is the Blitz Map Podcast. Gakwa Radio. We go way, way, way. Don't whistle. I want to give a shout to my man, Ty. Keep it 100 boxing. Yeah, man. Like I said, man, I appreciate all y'all, man. And check me out on Twitter. Keep it 100 boxing. There it is. Check, check me out on uh, YouTube. Keep it 100 boxing. I'm going to have something for y'all this weekend. All day. Tomorrow. And just check me out, man. I appreciate all the love and support from everybody. Also, I want to give a shout out to my main guy. <laughs> Benjamin Dixon from the Benjamin Dixon Podcast. Check that joint. We're going to run this podcast again. You can check it on Saturdays. It's, go to your iTunes. Search for the Blitzman Podcast. It's there on iTunes, Spotify. We there. Real talk. Also want to give a shout out to my main man, Fox, the executive producer. My main man, Rice Aries. AJ, we working out. We working. We work. We got to work it out. Kel Dansby, ESPN. This is the Blitzman Podcast. Gawkwa Radio, I got two things to say. You better hustle hard or hustle your ass home. This is the Blitzman Podcast. Gawkwa Radio, we go way, 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 way beyond whistle. See you next week. This is Fly Sports Talk, not Dry Sports Talk, you heard. This is a CWN Sports Network presentation. (laughs) 